This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Tax reform is a big issue this year. CNBC estimates the average American spends 15 hours completing tax forms. That 60% of taxpayers will seek professional tax preparation help at an average cost of $280. The Trump administration and the Republican-controlled Congress have pledged tax reform. There are many complaints about the current system. Some say it's too complicated to understand or that it's contradictory. Some claim the rates are too high, while others call for increasing taxes on the wealthy. Tax reform will be a complicated process. And the more complicated a process is, the bigger chance for unintended consequences. One such unintended consequence could be the impact of tax reform on charitable giving. An organization called Faith and Giving Coalition is keeping a close eye on tax reform proposals. I speak with Faith and Giving Coalition spokesman Brian Walsh on World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. I'm Kip Allen with news and brief of interest to Lutherans worldwide. The Evangelical Lutheran Church of Ingria in Russia and the Lutheran Church in Norway entered into church fellowship earlier this year. The decision came following talks in St. Petersburg, Russia. The Evangelical Lutheran Church of Ingria in Russia and the Lutheran Church in Norway are both members of the International Lutheran Council, a global association of confessional Lutheran church bodies. After having its application slapped down more than a dozen times by a committee, often dominated by repressive regimes, a Christian non-governmental organization advocating religious freedom finally won official UN accreditation. Meeting in New York on Wednesday, the 54-member United Nations Economic and Social Council voted to overturn the earlier decision, refusing accreditation to Christian solidarity worldwide. The vote passed 28 to 9 with 12 abstentions. Leading the no votes again were countries with poor records on religious freedom, including China, Russia, Pakistan, India, Turkey, and Vietnam. Ethiopia's northern Tigray state is considering adopting a new law that would restrict Christian activities to within official church compounds that would render illegal the activities of smaller churches that do not own their own buildings and gather in houses. The law, if passed, would most affect Christians from outside the Ethiopian Orthodox Church because any church that wanted to have its own land would need to prove it had at least 6,000 members, a greater number than the total population of non-Orthodox Christians in the state. The law would also ban Christians from evangelizing outside church compounds. The Missouri House of Representatives has adopted a bill which would scuttle a recent City of St. Louis ordinance which was designed to harass pro-life pregnancy resource centers and other religious institutions. Pro-life critics of the local ordinance contend that it would turn the City of St. Louis into an abortion sanctuary city. The city ordinance expands local civil rights law to prohibit discrimination based on what they call reproductive health decisions. World Lutheran News Digest will be back right after these messages. There's a special place where rare books from times long ago come alive in your imagination. A special place where you can rediscover values that transcend time itself. 
a special place of adventure, mystery, and drama that's both old and new at the same time. Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on KFUO Radio. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor William Whedon, LCMS Director of Worship. Jesus said some hard things in John 6, and lots of his disciples turned away and stopped following him. He asked the 12 if they wanted to go too. Peter responded for them all, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Words of eternal life, those are the words your Jesus has for you. Join me for the next broadcast of Thy Strong Word, 11 a.m. Central on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO radio. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm Kip Allen, host of World Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is Mr. Brian Walsh. He's with an organization referred to as the Faith and Giving Foundation. And our topic is going to be tax reform. Now, normally this would be a relatively easy issue. Everybody's in favor of it, right? But, Mr. Walsh, tell me a bit about yourself and about your organization. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm an attorney, and I've been um, I, I was in private practice, and then I went and have been doing public policy work for the last 12 years in Washington D.C. and a whole range of issues from criminal justice reform to religious freedom work to now focused on the um, the uh, tax reform proposals in front of Congress. That's been my major focus, and the Faith and Giving Coalition is a coalition of multiple faith organizations. Uh, including charitable organizations, faith communities themselves, and others who are focused on trying to preserve the full scope and value of the charitable deduction and, and the tax code and ensure that we continue to see the same incentives for people to give generously to uh, the faith community. Well, this is the question that came up. I mean, the president was elected largely because he promised tax reform. Everybody agrees that taxes, the tax situation is pretty much out of hand. Nobody understands the code. Most people say they're overtaxed. Other people say that the rich are getting too much of a tax break. But everybody has generally agreed that tax reform is needed. But as you pointed out, those of us in the faith-based community, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, are dependent largely upon these deductions, these uh, contributions that are tax deductible. Is this tax deduction possibly at risk if we go through a uh, tax reform? Is this one of the issues that's being raised? It is indeed. There are multiple proposals on the table right now, 
And as you know, since both houses of Congress, both chambers of Congress and the White House are in the hands of the Republicans, and many Republicans ran on tax reform, they are very serious about pushing major comprehensive tax reform through this year. Most people think that we will see uh, the most uh, consequential tax reform since the 1986 Reagan era tax overhaul, which of course was a, a major reform. And the proposals that are on the table not necessarily directly, but indirectly, really threaten the value, the full scope and value of the charitable deduction. And those proposals are, uh, I don't think that anyone wants, that is consciously trying in Congress to reduce charitable giving, but that's going to be the unintended consequence unless the faith community steps up, speaks up, and begins to make it clear that the charitable deduction is a very important incentive to make sure that everyone uh, still has the full uh, range of options for giving without being penalized on a tax basis. So how do we in the faith-based community get in touch with the lawmakers? What is what is our role here? How do we let them know what our concerns are? Well, I think one of the things that's important is that they're up on Capitol Hill right now, there's a some thinking going uh, going around. And as I said, there's no one who says we want to reduce charitable giving. There are a few members of Congress, not very many, but there are a few members of Congress who will say, I'm not really concerned about uh, the charitable deduction. I think that people will continue to give whether you have it or not. I think that that's not a very well-informed view and that those members of Congress need additional education on how this actually works. But there are very few who I think, uh, think are speaking along those lines and think that they want to reduce the charitable uh, deduction or charitable giving. What the thinking is is that if tax, uh, the tax code is simplified, and if the tax rates are lowered, then the economy will grow. And then if the economy grows, then there will be more money available and more people will give. And to some extent, that's probably true. One of the problems, of course, is that there is proposals on the table that would say that we will reduce the number of people who will itemize on their tax returns. Right now, about 33% or a third of taxpayers itemize. These proposals would reduce that to about 5% of, of uh, taxpayers which means that you have about 28% of taxpayers who no longer will have an incentive in the tax code for them to give. And those uh, people, if they want to give, uh, they will end up uh, having to pay taxes on that money. Right now, today, if you're one of those who are fortunate enough to have the charitable deduction, you, if you receive a dollar's worth of income, you can give that dollar straight out, and it goes straight to your church or to your church school, the homeless shelter, uh, whoever else you want to give it to, dollar for dollar. But if you're in a 25% tax bracket, which many people are, you'd end up being able to give only 75% uh, 75 cents on the dollar. So that's a major impact, and it's important that members of Congress understand from their leaders of the, of the faith community, the churches, bishops, and others, that this is a problem and that it's very important to the faith community that the full scope and value of the charitable deduction be preserved. Another aspect, uh, another concern that I've heard raised, especially in the wake of the Obergefell decision, is that the tax status of organizations like the church, like uh, religious colleges, may be at risk under the latest Supreme Court rulings. Is this something that is also being addressed under tax reform? Well, actually, there is not as much movement as one might think uh, with the uh, Republican president and Republican uh, House and, and Senate uh, to try to ensure that no faith-based organization loses its tax-exempt status. 
because of its beliefs. Um, you would think that there would be more movement in that direction, but I think because it is, there is so much political vitriol today about these issues, a lot of people don't want to touch it. So there are members of the faith community in Washington who are trying to put this issue on the table. I don't think that there's been much traction on that yet. It's certainly something that any faith community or any church that's concerned about should be weighing in on and making sure that uh, their members of Congress are well informed that this is a major issue and their level of concern about it. Well, it certainly is a concern with us, and we know that there have been some threats uh, against the Concordia University system, for example, uh, where we would not allow, say, students uh, who are not married to cohabit, or we would not allow a gay couple, uh, so things like that. And that is that's something that may have been threatened, that has been threatened. Well, in the um, Obergefell oral argument before the Supreme Court, the then Solicitor General of the United States said that he thought that the tax-exempt status of schools, universities, et cetera, would be in question, would be an issue after the decision. So it's not simply something that people are whipping up concern about. It's something that even people at the highest levels of government have acknowledged is a definite possibility and a threat to the religious freedom of these these uh, schools and universities. And as it has been pointed out, the Republicans are right now in control of both houses of Congress, and uh, the president himself has spoken out explicitly about preserving religious liberty. That's correct. And it really takes in these contexts when there is, um, you know, for whatever, for a lot of reasons, you know, religious freedom used to be something that was seen as being a very uniting force in the United States. Uh, the First Amendment, the first clause, the first words of the, the uh, First Amendment are, you know, about religious freedom. And unfortunately, there has been a breakdown in that in the past decade, I would say, especially in the last, um, you know, eight years or so, uh, really taking on religious freedom as if it were somehow a divisive force, which, of course, it's not. Uh, and it's important that people continue to educate that this is the thing that keeps us together, even when we disagree on very fundamental issues. We don't penalize people based on their beliefs. That's not something we do in the United States. We don't penalize people based on their religious traditions, their their free exercise of religion. So that's the type of uh, conversation that has to be had, and it needs to be had at every level of government, including school board meetings where people need to show up and talk about uh, religious freedom when those issues are being threatened and make it clear in a very respectful and uh, reasoned way that this is a, a foundation that helps us to avoid the polarization that so many people are concerned about on both the left and the right. Uh, if that breaks down, then you will end up seeing us polarized over religion, and we're already a polarized nation. The last thing we need is to be polarized over religion as well. Well, one phrase I keep hearing all the time, I think is a very dangerous one, is freedom of worship, not freedom of religion. And the idea being that you can worship whatever you want in the halls of your church, but that's where it ends. There has been a movement by some academics and others in government to really use that terminology in the past several years, and it, it is a narrowing of the concept of uh, free exercise. It's a, it greatly narrows, and so that type of uh, there needs to be a pushback on that type of terminology. You know, that, this is not something that the Faith and Giving Coalition focuses on, but it is the type of issue that I think that faith communities need to be aware of in general because it affects their ability to, to operate. Uh, throughout uh, American life, and there is no reason for any faith community that is not engaging in acts of violence or anything along those lines 
to have any restrictions on its ability to participate in American life. Uh, this nation was founded uh, in, in large part in order to ensure freedom of religion and conscience. And so that's an important portion of what the American experiment is all about. Well, getting back to a charitable contribution, one uh, one argument I have heard sometimes is that, well, the churches are getting off free, they're not paying their taxes, but the thing is, is that there's so much that we do with these charitable contributions. The Lutheran Church, for example, we set up uh, everything from, we uh, built we built uh, the, what we call the Hope Center in Ferguson after the riots, where people can get together and talk. Uh, we have a disaster response team that works with local churches after the after a disaster, like just happened in Prairieville, where the tornado uh, went through through uh, through the area. We have an initiative in in Africa, for example, uh, where we are fighting malaria. We are providing everything from medications to uh, netting. We are providing. We are building uh, wells in communities that have never had fresh water. We are building houses. This, these are things that we can do because of these charitable conditions, uh, charitable contributions. Absolutely. And I, I think this is one thing that we really need to stress. We need to blow our horn a little bit more. And it's Yeah, well, I, I completely agree with you. One of the things that is somewhat of a disability for many faith communities is that there is an ethic and a proper ethic that says that we don't want to try to take credit for things that we're doing. That's not the reason that we do them. And that's true. And there's also another aspect which says that we can talk about other people's good works. Uh, we can talk about other members of our church who are doing good things and uh, even other faith communities that are doing good things. And it's important to do so because if 49 out of 50 stories in the major media about religion are all negative about some type of scandal or you know, what you just said, which is that somehow the churches are taking money from the, the public treasury because they have their tax exempt. If 49 out of 50 stories are negative, then most people who are not religious or not particularly religious can be excused for thinking that religion is a net negative. But the fact is, religion in general is a net positive. And there's beginning to be a lot of good research about this. Very recently, at Baylor University, its Center for the Institute for Studies of Religion published a study showing that in 11 major cities from, I hope I have the, the cities right, from Atlanta to Phoenix to Baltimore, across the nation, in 11 major cities, 60% of the homeless beds were provided by the faith sector. And that's the type of fact that most people don't recognize. Most people think that if you took the faith sector out of, uh, maybe about 50% of people think that if you took the faith sector and the faith communities out of a homeless uh, ministry that you would you know, still have, the government would pick up all the slack. That's just not true. So it's important to tell these stories, and that's one of the things that changes hearts and minds, is talking about the good works that are being done. And really, the faith community is in the best position to do these good works with those personal uh, touches of kindness and love uh, that don't necessarily get communicated by a government bureaucrat. No one has ever accused a government of being warm and cuddly. Not not very many people have made that accusation. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing uh, that's been happening recently that, that we are viewing with, with concern is there's been an attack on faith-based adoption agencies. The idea being that, for example, Catholic charities would not foster or adopt a child into a same-sex couple. 
and uh, which is the traditional belief held by virtually every mainstream Christian group. You know, Southern Baptist Convention, Roman Catholic, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, numerous others. And a number of states have enacted legislation that says that this is against their uh, their discriminatory clauses, and therefore they're not going to involve, they're, they're no longer going to be issuing contracts to faith-based adoption agencies. But about 20% nationwide, about 20% of all children that have been adopted are adopted through faith-based agencies. Mm-hmm. And I don't right. see where the states... Well, I do know that there's a piece of um, legislation that's been introduced called the, I think it's called the Child Welfare Inclusion Act, uh, at the federal level, uh, and maybe it was this month. Um, and I think that act actually addresses these issues, at least from a federal standpoint. Of course, the federal government doesn't have the authority uh, under our constitutional system to dictate policy in the states, but it is a piece of legislation that anyone I think who's interested in that issue should take a look at. I can't remember offhand who the sponsors were of that bill. But I do know that there are members of Congress who are addressing those types of issues. Yeah, right now, they are in the state. Uh, for example, in the state of Missouri, we don't have that problem. But our neighboring state in Illinois, they've just canceled the contracts with the uh, Catholic Charities, basically for that very reason. And the only people who are getting hurt there are children. Well, I think the argument that often is made is that uh, people who want to adopt should be able to adopt through an agency that shares uh, their beliefs and their, their worldview. And that's really been the American way that we have uh, ensured that people are able to affiliate with those whom they want from their own faith community and their own faith values. So that's that certainly has been our, our tradition. Uh, again, this is not something specifically the Faith and Giving Coalition is working on. It. The Faith and Giving Coalition focuses almost like a laser beam on, on the uh, charitable uh, giving issues and on the, um, you know, how it is that we ensure that the tax code continues to you really have a positive view towards the faith community because the, uh, there is, I think, a mentality often in government that all of the money belongs, all of our money belongs to the government, and it's sort of a government is being charitable by letting us keep some of it. <laughs> and of course, seems that it way. wasn't until 1913 that there even was a uh, federal income tax. Uh, it, it certainly, uh, we had to do a constitutional amendment even to have one. So up until 1913, the thinking was that you uh, you deserved your own money, and that if you earned it, uh, you deserved it. And so the idea that uh, people would give their money away, the charitable deduction has been in the, in the tax code since for 100 years. It really is one of the foundational deductions in, in the tax code. So that type of thinking is what needs to be reinstituted so that people recognize that uh, Americans should be free in general, to uh, not opposed to taxes in general, uh, uh, we've been told to render under Caesar that which is Caesar's, yet at the same time, uh, not everything belongs to Caesar. And that's something to keep in mind, that government doesn't have an unlimited right to tell us what to do with our money. That's not the way that the American system is supposed to work. And the charitable deduction, in part, um, recognizes that people should be free to give their money away to a charitable cause and that not be penalized by the government for doing so. Do you have an, an estimate of how much money is involved in charitable contributions? Um, I, uh, I, in fact, I do, and I, for some reason, when you ask the question, went out of my head. I think the number that comes to me is a, I'm going to I'm going to get it wrong if I say it so, but I think it's over a hundred billion dollars a year. It might be at like a hundred and sixty billion dollars a year. I'm sorry that I don't have that at my fingertips. But um, but it's not small change. Tell your listeners in your next show. 
I, I will also add that one of, the, one of the plans, one of the suggestions that has been made for improving charitable giving, actually, is to make the deduction universal so that everyone gets the benefit of it. In other words, instead of reducing the number of people who get the benefit of the charitable deduction, you can take it what the, what's called above the line or before you even calculate your adjusted gross income. Most people don't even pay attention to that anymore because they use one of those uh, tax programs that does it for them. But that would make it a universal deduction and everyone would get the benefit of it. That would be fairer so that it wouldn't just be the higher uh, income people who are actually getting a charitable deduction. It would be for all taxpayers. And that cost of that to the public treasury is only, and this is a lot of money, uh, only it's about $5 billion, according to the Congressional Budget Office in 2011 when they did the study. Now, that's a lot of money in absolute terms, but when you think about a $1.5 trillion budget uh, each year, that's what our federal budget is, that's only about a third of 1%. So it really would be a relatively small amount of money that would impact the federal treasury, and it would enable all people uh, actually to be incentivized in giving and probably increase giving across the board. And out there's a lot of, especially since the financial crisis in 2008, there are a lot of faith-based organizations, uh, homeless shelters, food banks, and others who are barely squeaking by, and the needs have only increased in the last uh, eight years or so. If people want to learn more about this issue, do you have a website or an information area where they can contact you? The best way to contact me is at info at civilrightsresearch.org. That's info at civilrightsresearch.org. And you'll have all the information there, and the people can contact you, and they will have all ask whatever questions they want. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to field the questions that I can, absolutely, and or direct them to those who are more knowledgeable than I am. Mr. Walsh, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this issue with me. As you pointed out, this is a very, very important issue and one that people often overlook. Definitely true. I appreciate your raising awareness of it because, yeah, I can say from being in uh, in Congress in the uh, past. A couple of months, there needs to be more education for members of Congress at town hall meetings and others that this is an important issue to members of the faith community. Well, thank you very much for being on the program, and God bless you and your efforts. Thanks for having me on. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.